We'll give it a <laughs> Thank you, Victoria. Now you know all my business. <laughs> I guess that's what church is, though, right? Us knowing each other's business and helping with it. Um, as Victoria mentioned, it is now Lent. You have arrived here at the open table. Um, even on this fine day when you could have been outside frolicking, and so we're glad to see your faces. One of the things, thank you, Abby. You're welcome. See, I need help. <laughs> Some of the things that we associate with the season of Lent, traditionally in the Christian tradition, are prayer and fasting, confession, repentance, death, and considering our own mortality. And it begins on Ash Wednesday, which was this last Wednesday. And the Open Table partnered with Second Presbyterian, who's our second, or our um, part, what am I trying to say? Our parent congregation to offer uh, a service that night. And one of the things we say to folks who attend that service as they're coming up to receive ashes on their forehead in the shape of a cross is, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. And that's one of the pieces of that, remembering our mortality. Um, however, at the open table here, we haven't done a lot of stuff for Lent. We haven't been a, done a big push because we know that a lot of us in this room honestly have some baggage with it. Um, some times in our past and previous religious experiences where we may have been pressured to do practices during that time that we weren't comfortable with or um, maybe um, were judged for not being holy enough or too holy. Um, and so we have been talking about rethinking that. Um, some of this is good, but I also have a concern about some of these traditional practices from Lent. And that is this. Um, the focus on giving something up, the focus on death. Um, for some of us, that's not something we get to choose to participate in. I'm thinking about the people who, um, those of you who maybe had someone close to you die recently, and you're still feeling that grief very heavily. Those of you who experience marginalization and oppression because of your identity those of you whose spirit is crushed by trauma, those living paycheck to paycheck or even without paycheck, those struggling with a physical or mental health issue, and those exhausted from shouldering a load that shouldn't be theirs to bear. Do we really want to ask these people to think about death? For some, this awareness of the reality of death and of going going without is an everyday occurrence, not just something we do as a spiritual practice once a year. So yes, it's time to rethink it. Uh, We shouldn't ask the people who are impacted by these things to focus on their death when they're already well acquainted with grief and suffering. Some of us carry death inside of us every day and our smudge is invisible. So when it comes to Christian traditions like this, uh, the core group leadership team and the staff of the open table spend a lot of time trying to discern how to hang on to the meaningful pieces of our Christian tradition but depart from things that might cause harm. Um, And when it comes to Lent, practices like fasting and confession do have value. There's a reason that these have been passed down throughout the ages. But we also want to look at all of our spiritual practices through the lenses of love and justice and ask, well, what about racism, homophobia, ableism, sexism, xenophobia, colonialism, all those other things that keep us from loving our neighbors? Let's make sure we confess that shit and not just the personal sins. (laughs) So the open tables, uh, you might say we're hosting a rummage sale. 
in our faith tradition, um, asking whether the things passed down to us um, are still things we need or if it's time to discard them. Does this spark love? Is a question we might ask. <laughs> For this reason, uh, the Open Table decided to participate in a tradition called Glitter Ash Wednesday, which is relatively new, started by an organization in New York City called Parity, which um, celebrates the spirituality and religious expression of people who are LGBTQ. And this is the statement they offer about Glitter Ash Wednesday. Ashes are an in-your-face statement that death and suffering are real. Ashes are a sign that we repent of our role in the violence that pervades our world. The glitter is a sign of our hope. Glitter and ash is a powerful reminder of St. Augustine's teaching that we cannot despair because despair paralyzes. Glitter signals our promise to repent, to show up, to witness, to work. There's some of the traditional pieces of Ash Wednesday. The palms from Palm Sunday are usually burned to create the ashes. And these are similar to the glitter ashes that we used, the combination. So this became a, solid, a sign of solidarity with the queer community as well as a commitment um, that we wanted to participate in a fast from injustice, which um, God calls for in the book of Isaiah during Lent. So instead of the traditional Ash Wednesday statement, from dust you are, and to dust you shall return, we shared the phrase, from stardust you came, and to stardust you shall return. Because some of us really need that sign of hope, myself included. At our last gathering, Father Turbo Qualls shared some wisdom from the desert from early Christians who lived there. And uh, the story I'm about to tell comes from a time period before that in Jesus' life when he goes to the wilderness in the desert for 40 days. And here is the Bible passage to which I refer. It's in Matthew chapter 4. Get ready. Next, Jesus was taken into the wilderness by the Spirit for the test. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, in a state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test. Since you're God's son, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy. It takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. For the second test, the devil took him to the holy city. He sat him on top of the temple and said, Since you're God's son, jump. The devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. He has placed you in the care of angels. They will catch you so that you won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy. Don't test the Lord your God. For the third test, the devil took him to the peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out all the earth's kingdoms and how glorious they all were. Then he said, they're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me, and they're yours. Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. He backed his rebuke with a third quotation from Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. The test was over. The devil left. All right. Oh, there's the passage. I'll come back to that. What the literal hell? Uh, so, it's a lot to unpack. Uh, the, the, the passage I just read was from the um, translation called The Message, which is, has a little more informal language, a little easier to understand. 
Um, and this is what I always pictured, because this is the image of the devil that I grew up with. Anybody else? Yeah. Pointy-eared, literal, yeah, bread being pitchfork. You're welcome for the fancy graphics. Um, yeah, and it starts out by saying that God led Jesus out in the desert for the purposes of being tested by the devil. So let's start there. Um, in much of Jewish thought, and uh, Jewish scholars in the room can help me out with this one if I go astray. Um, what I, from what I understand, in much of Jewish thought, the character of the devil or the Satan is not seen as a literal figure necessarily, but a metaphorical opponent or adversary, sometimes a human adversary, a symbolic representation of selfishness or inclinations toward evil, not evil itself embodied in this form. Set. More or less. All right. So since Jesus was Jewish, it seemed important to bring that up about this passage, in case, just in case you were raised with that uh, particular image. Another thing to note uh, is that when you hear numbers in the Bible, they don't always mean a literal number. So the number 40, when it's talking about Jesus fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, it may just mean a length of time, not a literal fast, because he might die. <laughs> that would be problematic for the gospel. So, figurative. Um, so through this lens, maybe we could say Jesus met someone in the desert who just tried to push his buttons, some kind of adversary. Uh, the questions he was asked and the, te- the temptations presented were about how was he going to orient his life? Was it going to be by power, glory, fame? This was an opportunity to confront himself in his own shadows to deal with things inside him which might prevent him from doing God's will. Maybe it was preparation for what was going to come next. And here's a little more about that. So the context of this story happens right after Jesus has been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Um, Immediately after that, he goes to the wilderness for an extended time to be tested in this way. And right after that time, He emerges from that with a declaration and um, announcement of his vision and invocation. This entails a declaration of God's community of love, um, the forming of an alternative community with his disciples, which will embody uh, practices of devotion, justice, and shared and accessible resources. It will also be a demonstration of the healing and wholeness of God's shalom as he speaks um, in the Sermon on the Mount. So we get the sense that the wilderness helped establish and solidify that identity that he was about to announce. The wilderness itself represented a place away from the empire's control, away from the city center, away from the center of power, and a space that offered an invitation away from excess, time to contemplate. It was also a place of rescue for the people of Israel, a place of freedom after being liberated from Egypt. There's a lot of symbolic pieces to this passage. And the wilderness can be a place for us to ask as well, what will determine our actions? As I was reading this story and studying and preparing for tonight, something stood out to me that I had never noticed before. When you are studying the Bible, it's important to understand what the passages and the authors are saying about the land itself because that communicates a lot about the culture and history and concerns of the people living in that time. 
It's why the, the uh, land is sometimes called the fifth gospel after Marthi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the images of, um, on the screen right now is of, I believe it's called Mount Arbel or the Cliffs of Arbel. And it's next to the sea or the lake of Galilee. Some scholars have said that this was where Jesus went in this passage. And this is a, pat- this is a view from like being down at the lake level looking up. So the next one... This is from the top, looking out over the Sea of Galilee or the lake. And here's what he, could, he would have been able to see from the top of that vista. It towered over an ancient road, which went from Galilee to Nazareth, which was where Jesus was from. It also overlooks the entire lake, and it, you would have been able to see all the little fishing villages um, who were all kind of tied to the industry of fishing, which was carefully regulated by the empire. Um, it also offered a view of important biblical sites like um, Peter's hometown and the other spot nearby where he, Jesus would later ask Peter, do you love me? It showed the, um, you can see where the Jordan River starts to flow into the lake. You can see the nearby hill where he would preach the Beat- about the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount and other various places where miracles and feedings would happen and other stories from the Bible, both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. So he would have seen where he came from, or at least the road leading there. He would have seen what some images that represented what his people and himself were facing, and he would have seen where he was going. From below, once he went back down, he also would have been able to look back up at that spot and see the wilderness of Arbel and remember his time there. (laughs) The wilderness brings perspective, and it can be a really profound spiritual experience. This leads us to our spiritual practice for the evening. And I think I have a friend or two who are going to help pass out a sheet of paper, which will lead us through uh, the next portion of our gathering. I want to make some time for you to reflect on your own wilderness experience. This practice um, calls us to integrate both the ashes and stardust of our lives. Just one, yeah. Here are the questions, which are printed on one side of the paper, if you need to see them more closely. So on one side is an image, sort of a a grayed out image of what I just showed you um, with that, those cliffs of Arbel and then um, the Sea of Galilee below them. And this is what I would like to invite you to do. Consider your own vista, your own lake, your own wilderness. The bottom half, or the the stones of the cliff are, represents where you came from, where you are in the present. How did you get here? Who helped you? And what kind of person were, were you and are you now? What struggles are you encountering? On the top piece of the paper, it represents the lake and where you're going. So where is your vocation or vision calling you? In what ways do you hope to contribute to a more loving world? And who will walk alongside you on that journey? Then in between these two spaces, 
Um, the wilderness line represents that, that in-between space that you need to visit in order to center yourself and articulate your own vocation or your own call or mission in the world. What represents wilderness to you and where might that be? Is it a physical or metaphorical location? What do you need to address within yourself while you're there? What new insights or wisdom would be helpful? What do you think your main adversary would be? What spiritual practices would be helpful to you in the season of your life? And what do you need to help orient your life around love? These are just some questions for thought. I'm going to give you, let's see, about 10 minutes or so to ponder this. And um, you're welcome to use words, images, symbols to say what you need to say. And we will have a little bit of time to share at our tables afterwards if you're comfortable doing so but it's not mandatory. (laughs) All right, I know this had the potential to be a pretty personal exercise, but um, if you were to say a one-word feeling about how you felt about it, um, what would that be? A few people. Good to be open and transparent. Okay. On track. On track. Mm-hmm. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Yeah. The wilderness is a very vulnerable yes. space. Clarifying. Clarifying. Connected. Yeah. Connected. Support. Support. Challenged. Opening. Opening. Exciting. Inspiring. Inspiring. Affirming. One more. Reclaiming. Reclaiming. Good. I hope you'll continue to let this reflection sit with you and, and explore your own wilderness spaces, whether that's internally or I know some of you are considering going on an actual wilderness um, pilgrimage of some kind, and this, this can go with you on that journey. Um, it's really about integration, I think. Um, reflecting on our past, understanding how that impacts us in the present so that it doesn't control us, and then um, moving into the future and deciding um, how we're going to articulate our vocation, our, our call, our vision, um, and around what will our life be oriented Um, The wilderness can be a very vulnerable, sometimes intimidating space, but that's uh, when you get out there, it's when you can really see the stars. Um, I think Jesus went to the wilderness to find something he needed before his true vocation began. And he would return to it throughout his ministry. Lent isn't just about giving up things or thinking about death. It's about taking that intentional time to reflect on these things um, and what you're called to do. So I, I returned to the lyrics of the song the band sang earlier, I want Jesus to walk with me, or I want love to walk with me. May it be so.